Good morning and welcome. Isn't it great, like Dan said, to be able to gather in the Lord's house? There's just something special about that. And it's even more special that God's house isn't limited to four walls. Those of us that are joining online, you are in God's house too. And I welcome you. And I'm excited that you find God so important that you would join us today. Last week, I stood up here and I said, I want you to bring with you today a coffee cup, a coffee mug, uh, something of that sort. And today I brought one of mine with me. Many of you have seen this one. I carry this one a lot. Um, when I'm in this building, because some people are just exhausting. And Gary's upstairs today, so I can say that about him. Um, that's his daughter. She's allowed to say that. Uh, I got to tell you, though, some of you I saw bring in uh, your coffee mugs. And I don't care about that one. But I brought in a different one. If I can find it in my bag. Here it is. This one. I love this one. This is the first coffee mug I got um, when I was a father. It says, Happy Father's Day. It has pictures of Reagan all over it. I use this cup a lot. So if any of you have brought your cups, I know Marilyn did, just go ahead and show it off. Some of you have some really, I think, bedazzled uh, travel mugs or some. Hi, Jameson. Oh, there's some. You know what? I'm excited that some of you have a, a is that a monster? It's okay. It's a squirt. That counts. It's decorated. Um, I'm going to set this over here so I don't kick it. Now, you have your, your cups, and I have mine. I have another one in here. This is my favorite of all, because this was my grandpa's. Every time I went to his house, he had this. And I'm unashamed to say I stole this from my grandma. So I would have an original grandpa coffee mug. A lot of memories with him. Even the last, the last day I saw him alive, he was drinking from this cup. So I have that coffee cup. But I have one more. Because I'm a children's pastor, I need a little extra to get through a Sunday morning with your kids. Um, no, I didn't just go out and buy this. I asked for this many years ago, and I got to tell you, that's a lot of coffee. <laughs> like 64 ounces. I don't know anyone that can drink that much and, and, and live, but um, we all have coffee mugs, and some of you have held them up, and I want to tell you, the reason why I asked you to bring them is so that you could do absolutely nothing with it. There's no reason whatsoever. There's no contest of, of the biggest or the oldest, the most pictures, the most used, the most well-traveled. There's no reason for you to bring them here today, except I wanted you to feel disappointment. You laugh, and that's okay. Just a little disappointment. Oh, man. Uh, 
I wanted you to feel a little disappointment because some of us have disappointment in our lives. Some of us have followed people like you did with me. You listened to me and you brought your mugs with you in expectations of something. We're going to learn now about another group of people that they were disappointed in when they listened to and followed another person. So let's take a look at this group of people. In the mid-19th century, a Baptist preacher, William Miller, traveled the country preaching that the second coming of Christ was close at hand. Tens of thousands believed he was right. The pivotal text that William Miller centered his apocalyptic lectures on was Daniel 8.14, unto 2,300 days and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Cleansed! And he thought the sanctuary was the earth, and it would be cleansed by the fires of the second coming. Miller's followers determined the cleansing would come on a single date, October 22, 1844. One of those who came to hear Miller speak was a young woman, Ellen White. And at that time, Ellen White, my great-grandmother, and the whole family went to hear him. They were all impressed. Uh, They were impressed by his sincerity, his knowledge of the Bible, his understanding of prophecy, and his ability to explain things clearly and and succinctly. ...described by the Holy Scriptures, cleansing by fire. As October 22nd approached, true believers prepared to meet their God. Farmers abandoned their crops and livestock. Shop owners closed their businesses. Others simply threw away their money. And that night people gathered and waited to be united with their God. But the next morning, Ellen White and the others awoke to a world unchanged. She believed with her whole heart that Jesus was coming. She writes in her own writings, I went home and I cried all night. Can you imagine the complete disappointment they must have felt the embarrassment from their communities when they returned to their farms, their shops, and their homes. These Millerites, they believed so strongly that what they were reading was true. And indeed, they were reading God's word. And God's word is 
true. It was taken out of context, and they were disappointed. The disappointment was a consequence of their actions. Just like your disappointment may have been a consequence of you bringing your coffee cup because you listened to me. And Paul, he writes to us in 2 Thessalonians about the consequence that we will all face if we do not know Christ. And he writes in 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 12, Brothers and sisters, we should always thank God for you. That's only right, because your faith is growing more and more. The love you have for each other is increasing. So among God's churches, we brag about the fact that you do not give up easily. We brag about your faith in all the suffering and testing you are going through. All of this proves that when God judges, he is fair. So you will be considered worthy to enter God's kingdom. You are suffering for his kingdom. God is fair. He will pay back trouble to those who give you trouble. He will help you who are troubled. And he also helps us. All of those things will happen when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come in blazing fire. He will come with angels who are given the power to do what God wants. He will punish those who do not know God. He will punish those who do not obey the good news about our Lord Jesus. They will be destroyed forever. They will be shut out of heaven. They will never see the glory of the Lord's power. All of those things will happen when he comes. On that day, his glory will be seen in his holy people. Everyone who has believed will be amazed when they see him. And that includes you. Because you believed the witness we gave you. Keeping this in mind, we never stop praying for you. Our God has chosen you. We pray that he will consider you worthy of his choice. We pray that by his power, he will make every good thing you have planned come true. We pray that he will make perfect all that you have done by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus will receive glory through what you have done. We also pray that we all pray all these things in keeping with the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I find it interesting, we're going to hold on to that scripture, but I find it interesting that according to Pew Research, in the United States, 72% of all people believe in heaven, and only 58% believe in hell. It seems that we have a problem with consequences. And Paul makes it very clear in this passage that the consequences we face are real. In verse 6, Paul says, God is fair. This is a statement of fact. It is, excuse me, God is not on his throne pointing a finger at us, telling us we've done things wrong and sending us to hell. 
In fact, it's the complete opposite. In Romans 5.8, we are told that God demonstrates his love for us through this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his Son to be our sacrifice, to be our Savior. And this shows us that God is just, that God is fair, because he has done everything for us not to be condemned to an an eternity away from him. And this shows us that God is just, that God is fair. He has done everything so we can be with him for all of eternity. God is just because he gives us the opportunity to accept Christ as our Savior. The consequence of our choice is clear. It's heaven or hell. Paul continues in verse 8 to inform us what we have done to deserve this punishment. And he writes, those who do not know God and obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is a big and. There's a huge difference between knowing God and knowing God and being obedient to him. So boiled down, Paul is saying this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul continues to tell us then what the punishment is the punishment that's awaiting for the ones that God, that do not know God and are not obedient to him. And he describes it as eternal destruction and being shut out of the presence of God. We don't know exactly what or where hell is. But we can be certain that the separation from God and from everything good that comes through him is the worst condition that we could find ourselves in. But following this description of the looming punishment is a simple yet powerful statement. In the midst of all this eternal punishment talk, Paul declares, on the day he comes. This is not an if statement. If Jesus should come, it's a statement of fact that Jesus is coming back. It's a statement saying that there will be a judgment. Everything God says he will do, he will do. We learned a few weeks ago that Jesus will return like a thief in the night. And because the time and hour is not known to us, we need to live every moment of our lives for him. Loving God with all of our heart, our soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves and I've spoken a lot about punishment. But that's not the, the meaning of this passage. It's not what Paul's saying. It's, and I, I'm not wanting you to go home thinking, wow, I, I'm bad. I have this horrible punishment. I'm in big trouble. That's not it at all. Paul is telling us about the consequences of our actions. And that God, who is just, who is fair, will one day judge us. 
But God does not stop there. That would be a very shallow and insincere faith if we only believed in God so we wouldn't get in trouble. And you may be asking yourself, what do I need to do so I'm not judged as guilty? And so here are a few steps that Paul has outlined for us. And number one is, believe in Jesus. You must believe that Jesus is God's Son. You must believe that he is God's Son, that he is sent here for you. Number two, you must tell Jesus that you are sorry for the things in your life that you have intentionally done against someone else. Tell God you are sorry for the lies you have told or the thoughts in your mind that you wish someone would be hurt or that they would die. Tell him you're sorry for the addictions in your life. We need to give all of that to God. And all of these things are called sins. And what we have, these are what we have done that have earned us a sentence of separation from God. And there's a number three. We need to not do these things again. You should strive once you acknowledge that Jesus is God's Son, that He is here for you, that He died for you, and you have told Him you're sorry for all of the, the sins in your life. You should strive not to do them anymore. That doesn't mean that believing in Jesus makes you perfect. I'm not. But you do need to start living your life like you believe in Jesus. That he is your Savior. That God is your Father. Yes, you will stumble. I know I do. You will fail. And you will fall. And you'll most likely feel like you have just failed God too much. And you'll start to think that there's no use in trying. But here's the kicker. You are not alone. God is with you. God is gifting you with himself to give you strength, endurance, and perseverance in your faith. And just because you may sin does not mean God gives up on you. God did not send his son to live, die, come back to life, and ascend up to heaven only to give you one chance. No, God loves you more than you can imagine. And no matter what you have done in your past, God will never give up on you. He will always be with you. Now you may be thinking, well, I've already done one through three, so I'm set. I believe in Jesus. I've told him I'm sorry, and I do my best not to do the same sins all over. Well, Paul says there's a number four. And if you are in the boat of one, two, and three, you've got your check mark, well, okay. Paul says we must pray. We are told that we must now shift our focus Unto the lives of those in our lives. It's the desire of God that no one receives the punishment of eternal separation. God wants everyone 
to be eternally with him. We all know people, maybe co-workers, maybe someone you heard at the store. It may be a son or a daughter. It may be a mother or a father, or a brother or a sister. We all know these people. And Paul is saying, great, you did one, two, and three. Now do four. Because God wants them to be with him too. John writes in chapters 3, verse 16 through 20, This is how much God loved the world. He gave his Son, his one and only Son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it is. He came to help, to make the world right again. And anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death death penalty without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in a one-of-a-kind Son of God that you can introduce to them. This is the crisis we are in, John continues. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light, so the work can be seen for the God work it is. John tells us that God sent Jesus from heaven to earth to save us, not to condemn us, not to tell us we are a helpless people. He came as a light into a dark world so that we may see truth. And if you know Christ, you have his light in you. It is our responsibility to share that with our families, with our friends, because that's what God wants us to do. So God sent his son so you would not be sentenced. And anyone who, and I love this word, who trusts in him is acquitted. They are set free from their would-be death sentence. They are given life. And that's what God has done. Jesus took your death penalty and gives you a life free and clear. C.S. Lewis wrote many books, including the Chronicles of Narnia and the Screwtape Letters and a whole bunch of stuff. But in one of his books called The Great Divorce, he wrote this. There are only Two kinds of people in the end. 
those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. It's the same thing said, opposite meanings. God, I'm giving you everything. I want you in all that I do to be seen by everyone. And the other one, God is saying, you made your bed, now lie in it. My question to you today is, whose will do you want? What is your choice? What is the consequence you prefer? Would you rather experience an eternity expelled from all things good, being eternally separated from God? Or do you want to accept the love that God has shown you? I want you to experience an eternity with God in his presence. God does not force us to worship him, to love him, or have a relationship with him. All he requires, he has already done. Someone had to pay for all of the sin in your life, and Jesus did that. All that is left for you to do is admit that Jesus is God's son. Tell him you're sorry for all the sin in your life. And start to live the way God would have you to live. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's easy to say. But it's hard to do. I want to encourage you to leave your past in the past. And the question that you need to answer is, where is your eternity? So right now, if you have ever in your life done something you know was wrong, but you did it anyway... I want you to stand up. Maybe it was a lie you told. Maybe you cheated on a test. Maybe you gossiped about someone when they left earshot. Perhaps you were talking to your boss and you told half-truths to make yourself look better. So if you've done anything like that, I want you to stand up right now, just right where you are. I am standing. I can't stand anymore. So now I want you to take a look around. Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one person that is able to stand. That is better than you are. We, we are all the same. We all need Christ. We all need his forgiveness. And we can all be an heir of his kingdom we can all live eternally in his presence. So I want you to think about yourself right now. If there is something in your life that God is saying to you, thy will be done, then right now you need to tell God that you are sorry. You need to ask for forgiveness for whatever it may have been. And then you need to ask for God's help to overcome that stumbling block. Don't wait. 
You need to make things right with God right now. When I was in high school, everything was great. I went on spring break. I had lots of friends. One friend, however, she went out to Colorado. While she was skiing on one of the mountains, she fell sick. 24 hours later, we received word that she had died. We are never promised a later. We're never promised a tomorrow. All we have is a right now. And I don't share that story with you to scare you. God does not want an emotional relationship with you. He wants a sincere relationship. So I, I want for you nothing more than to know Christ in your hearts. And if there's something where God would say to you, Thy will be done, I want you to say to God, Thy will be done. He knows what your life is. He knows what you've done. He just wants to hear from us. So I'm going to pray. And if you need to tell God anything in your life, you might as well do it. He knows it already. But give it to him. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. You know the things in our life that are separating us from you right now. And God, the prayers that are being prayed and the confessions of sins, I ask that you hear them and accept the sincere prayers and grant your forgiveness. God, we are all at different places on our journey with you. So please meet us where we are. Give us more of your spirit to help us live the way you want us to. God, restore our broken lives. We thank you for sending Jesus to take our death sentence and give us life. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to die for me, to die for us. And God, I ask that as we go out of this church, that you would help us to live for you. That people would see the God light shining out of us. That people would see a God work being performed for you. I pray that as we exit this church, that we would be different than when we entered. And God, we thank you for what you have done. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Intro, two, three, four.